Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. Well, hello and welcome to worship. If we've not met before, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. Uh, Whether this is your first time to worship with us, whether you are a longtime kindred member or anything in between, I'm so glad that you've tuned in today. Uh, We've got a special treat. Uh, Our friend Pastor Charlie Baber is here to preach for us. If you've been with kindred uh, for uh, a while, you've probably seen Pastor Charlie here before. Uh, Charlie is the pastor of youth ministries at our mother church, which is University United Methodist in downtown Chapel. Hill, uh, and it's always a joy when Pastor Charlie can come and and preach for us. Uh, Before we hear from him, uh, our scripture for today is from Genesis chapter 3, and this is verses 1 through 6. It says, The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the snake, We may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, Don't eat from it and don't touch it or you will die. The snake said to the woman, You won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. And so she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, let's listen now as Pastor Charlie continues our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Good morning, Kindred. It's always such an honor to be with you. I was really excited when Pastor Daniel invited me to come and preach to you today on Genesis chapter 3. You see, I love the creation stories in the Bible, probably because I'm a little bit addicted to origin stories. Across the world of entertainment, so many of us know the origin stories of the Batman and Spider-Man and Harry Potter and The Hobbit, right? You see, origin stories place us in the world of the main character, and they're designed to reveal why that character acts the way that they do. The first 11 books of Genesis are written to be the origin stories of both God and the people of Israel, explaining the nature of our relationship with each other. Today, we're going to home in on one of the most well-known moments in the Genesis origin story, the snake, the fruit tree, and the two naked people. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, Don't eat from it and don't touch it or you will die. 
The snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this story is known the world over as the textbook example of temptation. You can just see that bright red apple with a fresh bite in it. Now, I work with teenagers, and one of the first questions they have about this story, I mean, after the shock of the talking snake, is, so why exactly did God punish Adam and Eve so harshly for something that doesn't really seem like that big of a deal? I mean, they're kicked out of their home, the man must now toil in labor all of his days, and the woman will now suffer labor when she gives birth. Not only that, they can no longer attain eternal life, and apparently they have a fear of snakes now. I mean, all they did was eat some fruit, right? Well, now we know this is an origin story, but religious scholars have debated for centuries over what we're supposed to take away from it. Most of Western Christianity, that's including us here in the U.S., believe that this is the story of original sin. It is the origin of how humans are born totally depraved. Now that means until we are saved by faith in Christ, we are completely incapable of doing anything good. We will always choose wrongly when faced with temptation. This belief was formulated by St. Augustine in the late 4th century and became official church doctrine soon after. The logic of this argument is that all humans are born guilty and deserving of hell just because we are born the children of Adam and Eve, the first sinners. And believe it or not, this is still actually the official teaching in the books of the United Methodist Church. But I'd say it's very curious that Adam and Eve's story makes no mention of this kind of punishment being wrought upon the entire human race as a result of their action. Which, by the way, if you look closely, the word sin is not even used in this story. So uh, we can also look to Jewish theology and Eastern Christianity because they take a different approach for the implications of this origin story. For the Eastern Orthodox Church, the punishments listed in Genesis 3 explain the origin of temptation, suffering, and death. Being expelled from the garden, humans are no longer able to eat from the tree of life, and so we suffer, so we die. Guilt only comes when we freely choose to give in to temptation. 
And since death and suffering entered the world and we are finite, limited people, we will inevitably make poor choices with a tendency towards selfishness and self-preservation. Similarly, in Judaism, this is the origin story of human choice. Instead of being born guilty and deserving hell, the temptation in the garden is seen as an allegory for the choices that every human faces throughout our lifetimes. They lift up Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, where God tells the people, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. God gives us choices, and we are limited, imperfect people who will sometimes make the right choice, and sometimes we won't. So plenty of philosophers, biologists, and anthropologists are trying to answer the same question that we are when we read Genesis 3. Why can humanity reach such great heights of good and such depths of evil? Something I think both religion and science might be able to agree on is that as much as we'd like to wish that we're completely independent and in charge of our own destinies, we are profoundly influenced by external forces. Whether it's a snake-like tempter causing you to disobey God, or systems of oppression and marginalization that we don't even always recognize we're a part of, none of us are going to make it through this life making the right choice every time we are tempted. This season of Lent, we've been slowly making our way through the Lord's Prayer. And this week, we come to the part where we pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you believe in God as a loving parent, this is kind of a strange thing to pray. Like, would God intentionally lead me into temptation if I didn't pray this? That doesn't jive with what I read in James chapter 1, which reads, No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They are lured away and enticed by them. And once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. In fact, the New Testament seems to confirm the Jewish and Orthodox beliefs around temptation and sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we read, No temptation has seized you that isn't common to all people, but God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out. In this scenario, every temptation is a choice, a legitimate decision to be made. And God is not the one who's trying to ruin you. No, God is rooting for you and opening a door for you to escape that temptation. 
throughout the whole testimony of Scripture, we get this idea that temptation can come from within and temptation can come from external forces. See, within we have cravings, we have desires, and not all of them are selfish. And we can make poor choices that we thought would benefit us, and then it turns out they don't. Without, whether you believe in supernatural evil powers or just the natural possibility of systemic evil, we are tempted to make choices that ultimately harm ourselves and our community. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are accepting that we deeply need God's wisdom, grace, mercy, and help to navigate the countless decisions and scenarios we face daily. We need guidance in our choices, and we need deliverance when the temptation to sin seems all-consuming. We need God's guidance and perspective when the choices aren't black and white. And we need deliverance when we are completely blind to our own complicity in social sin. When I was in college, reality TV had reached new heights, or maybe new lows, in exploiting the human capacity for bad choices. And perhaps no show did this better than Temptation Island, which has recently made a comeback. The reality series has been described as an appalling, appealing blend of barely ethical chaos, psychological warfare, and irresistible TV. Sounds great, right? If you're not familiar, four real couples each of whom are experiencing troubles in their relationships, they voluntarily come on a TV show where they will be separated from each other and tempted for weeks on end with dozens of single people who are looking to hook up or fall in love. Every night is filled with endless alcohol, parties, hot tubs, and opportunities for committed couples to tiptoe over the line of fidelity or just jump right across it. Then, as all good reality TV does, partners are shown a montage video of their partner's worst behavior with another man or woman, just completely out of context, which, of course, just snowballs their own self-justification to retaliate next time. It's a train wreck, and people love to watch it. Perhaps watching other people ruin their lives on national television gives us this false sense of superiority. The success of reality TV perpetuates this idea that I am somehow above making terrible choices that will ruin my life or someone else's. I mean, hey, I might mess up, sure, but I would never do that. So while we separate ourselves from those immoral people over there giving into real temptation, we are giving into the temptation to imagine that we are actually better than someone else. 
But the Lord's Prayer isn't about them over there on Temptation Island, is it? The Lord's Prayer is about us. Them and us. New studies have revealed that all of us are capable of great evil, not because we are inherently bad people, but sometimes exactly because we believe what we are doing is the best for us and for others. How often in Christian history alone have people embraced ideologies and political ideas that are the opposite of Christ while rationalizing that they are consistent with their own faith? How many Christians participated in genocide, trafficking, slavery, and violent colonialism because they deeply believed they were spreading God's kingdom across the world? How many Nazis and KKK members called themselves Christians? How often has brother taken up arms against brother because each believed he was absolutely standing up for God's will? Now we're getting back into the them versus us, aren't we? Now I'm assuming no one listening to this sermon is a Nazi or a KKK member. But all of us are facing a real reckoning with the far-reaching impact of white supremacy. I'm assuming no one here supports the colonial overthrow of a weaker nation, but all of us have cell phones in our pockets that we can only afford because we benefit from the colonizing idea that the people making these, they live in another country, so it's okay if they don't make as much money as we do here. I'm sure no one here would storm the Capitol and threaten to kill members of the government, but how quick are we to characterize and vilify all members of the other political party? While it may be true that some sins have a much more devastating consequences than others, it is also true that all of us participate in death by a thousand cuts, little contributions that we brush off as inconsequential can build up collectively over time and have far-reaching effects. Little temptations can lead to bigger and bigger lines to cross. And just like James described, temptation gives birth to sin, and when sin grows up, it turns into death. Now, Christians may not all agree on why we sin, but we do share a common belief that humanity needs help. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation and evil are common to the human experience, but as Christians, we turn to Jesus Christ for help. Scripture says, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but instead we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, except was without sin. Jesus understands the human struggle. The very judge before whom we must all stand sympathizes with us in our weakness. 
I don't know what temptations you are facing. Maybe you're tempted to live beyond your means. You could be tempted to uh, this front of invulnerability to just to not let anyone in. Maybe you're tempted to pursue status and popularity, or you could be tempted to certainty instead of meeting people in the messy middle. Maybe you're tempted to stay out of things when you could be speaking up to help out. Maybe you're tempted to just take one more drink, to spend just a little more time alone with that person who's not your spouse, but they make you feel so attractive. Maybe you're tempted to give up, to despair. Maybe you're tempted to arrogance. The temptation itself, it doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. Maybe that's the point of the origin story in the Garden of Eden. You can't do anything to make God love you more or less than you are already loved. In the Lord's Prayer, we are asking God to lead us and to protect us from harm and from doing harm. We are trusting that God really is with us, that God really does deliver us, that God really does provide a way out when we feel trapped. So I want to leave you with two things today. God is bigger and God is with us. Christianity is non-dualistic. So when we talk about sin and death, we're not talking about yin and yang, where good and evil are equal in power, okay? There's only one God. Everything else, the devil, systemic evil, your own selfish desires, your own shame, they are no match for the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about the weight of the problems of this world. Think about the weight of sin and shame, the seeming impossibility for good to ultimately triumph. Just picture all suffering and death compared to little old you. It's like the Milky Way galaxy, okay? It's more than you can possibly wrap your mind around, but God is bigger. God is bigger than the Milky Way galaxy of suffering and death. God extends to the ends of the ever-expanding universe and beyond, okay? Evil and darkness, they are not some equal but opposite cause and effect against the infinite God. You see, God is bigger and God is with you. A key belief of United Methodists is not just that we humans have this capacity to do great evil, but also that the Holy Spirit of this infinite God, this bigger God, that Holy Spirit lives inside every single one of us. Adam and Eve in the garden may be the origin story of temptation, but Jesus is the origin story of a new way to be human. 
Jesus lived and loved among us, showed us the depths of God's love through the cross, and unleashed the Holy Spirit into the world through the resurrection and Pentecost. God isn't living inside you like a puppet master trying to drive your robot body around to make good choices. The the Holy Spirit lives inside you like a still, small voice, one you must practice paying attention to. And if you're you're listening, if you're, you're really listening, the Holy Spirit is shaping you to face any temptation that comes your way with the knowledge that God absolutely loves you. And that same love extends to your neighbors. As you go forth from this time of worship, you will be certain to face temptations, great and small. But take heart. God is bigger. And God is with you. Let us pray. God, our great deliverer, let us not grow weary in the daily struggle with temptation. Give us the wisdom to stay away from paths where temptation is greater. Strengthen us to walk away when we are tempted and give us the clarity to see the way out that you will provide. Help us to trust that your love is truly bigger and that you are faithfully present with us always until the end of the age. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Charlie, for that good word for us. Uh, Friends, a few things here before we go. Uh, For those of you that are new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you. There's a link in the video description or the podcast description here that says connect. If you click on that and leave me some contact information, uh, I'd love to be able to follow up with you this week to to reach out and say hey. Uh, Also, for those of you who are local, we would love to see you in in in-person worship. Uh, We would especially love to see you for Easter worship. Easter is actually just two weeks away now. It's April 17th. We're going to worship at our normal time, our normal place, 10 a.m. at the AMC Classic Theater in Durham. We're going to have an awesome Easter uh, worship service. And then right after that, we're going to have a celebratory uh, popcorn bar and photo booth. Uh, So you don't want to miss it. Uh, Think of friends. Think of family that you can invite. Uh, It's going to be a a great uh, celebration. So I hope to see you there. Uh, Finally, be sure to check the link in the video description or the podcast description for uh, announcements and updates and other ways that you can get more involved with our kindred community. Uh, With that, friends, I hope you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. Listeners, this free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.